let's uh, let's pray. Actually, can I have Fuji? Can you pray, Fuji Nadaki? I love this guy. Can you? Can, would you mind just praying for us, praying for me that I don't mess this up because it's been a good morning so far. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and glory, and we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you that uh, we are here to hear your word and. We uh, lift up um, Jason to uh, deliver your, your word to us. Uh, we pray for open hearts and uh, give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. I was on a kayak with Fuji a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. There, that's the story. That's it. Of course, we see a son out there and he was, I have never seen a kid in more He's like in, just enraptured with joy on this kayak as he was coming out to meet us. It was fantastic. Well, uh, good morning. Welcome again to Christ Center. Uh, this is our, our last week doing uh, Rhythms of a Disciple. Uh, Pastor Joshua is away this week. He is um, on vacation. We let him go. We kicked him out. That's not true. Um, but he'll, he'll be uh, gone this week and next week. Um, so I'm going to finish out this series. We've been talking... Um, uh, about a lot of different facets of spiritual discipline, essentially, is, is what we've been doing. And uh, today we're going to look at the one that looks back, and it's kind of appropriate. Uh, examination. I love this quote here. Many avoid the path of self-knowledge because they're afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. That's a good quote, huh? I don't know if you guys can relate to that. It's a famous quote by Socrates, said the unexamined life is not worth living. But there's another side to that. The navel-gazing life is not worth living either. Examination is a thing that's difficult. To examine yourself, it's, it, it's not easy. And the reason is it can so quickly and unexpectedly become this like internalized obsession where you just get swallowed up. And a lot of people do get swallowed up and they end up in self-help book after self-help book. Oprah doesn't help them. Dr. Phil helps them for a, a little while. And, uh, and so we just end up in these areas and they end up taking Zimbio quizzes and, and then they end up always telling you what kind of person they are. You know? This is the kind of person I am. Anybody ever? Okay, maybe you are that person. I've been that person who's like, let me just reassert the kind of person I am. Really, the reason I'm reasserting it is because I'm insecure about the person I am, and I want to just make sure that we're good. I'm not one of those insecure people. Don't you worry about that. That's what can happen with self-examination. How many of you guys say you struggle with overanalyzing yourself? Anybody? Okay, right, right, all the introverts. How many... How many just say, I don't really analyze very much, I just do stuff and move on? Okay, okay. Very good. It's not really just split internal. How many of you guys think you're, you're pretty healthy self-examination in your life? Okay, a handful, not very many of you. That's good, that's good. And hopefully for the rest of us, maybe you'll get uh, uh, some, some keys for, for, I think, a healthy way to do this. Healthy way to look back at your own heart. Now, God himself set the tone on self-examination right at the beginning of the Bible we see this phrase God saw that it was good he looked back on his day and he said all right all right 
You know, it's okay to do that, by the way. It's okay to look back on your day and like, all right, I did good today. That's what he did. He was able to examine his own work and all that. Here's the problem. God has a perfect perspective because he's infinite, right? I have a, I have a problem. My brain, as my, my mentor Larry Allen used to say, my brain fits right inside my head. Therefore, I have a very limited perspective. So if I go to examine myself, that's a good thing. However, I can't really necessarily trust all of my conclusions because I have a limited perspective. My brain is stuck here, and it's a bummer. I wish it wasn't, but it is. Therefore, this isn't simply self-examination. This is a process of examination where we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. We do this. We do what David did. We say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, it isn't just like convict me of sin. It's convict me, let me know if there's something in there so that you can lead me to the way of everlasting. See, in other words, not just tell me the things I'm doing wrong, but help restore me so that I'm not doing them wrong anymore. What a, what a good and healthy and wonderful prayer. And if we don't get, enter into this process, a lot of us are just going to keep staying in our rut and wondering what's going wrong. So, why should we even bother with self-examination or examination? First, it can actually bring us closer to God. No, really, it can. It might sound a little bit painful, but it really can bring us closer to God. And I think if we do it right, it will, because it builds trust. Anytime you're, you're opening your heart up to a person, that starts building trust and it deepens the relationship, okay? Uh, secondly, it reminds us to celebrate our victories. How many of you guys are not good at celebrating your victories? Can I see hands? Okay, very good. All right. Celebrating your victories is actually a good thing. Because if you don't do that, then you're just going to look back and look at all your failures all the time. It's okay to look back and say, I did a good thing. Finally, examination will say, uh, uh, it will help uh, lead us in the kind of confession that heals. Which is where we need to get to. Alright, so that's sort of a backdrop. I want to jump in and follow David in Psalm 139. We just read the last verse, but we're going to follow him through uh, on his train of thought, okay? This is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible because of its intimate language. It's just beautiful. Um, I think if, uh, you know, David probably would have wanted Adele to sing this song. He would have wanted lots of violins and cellos, and he wanted everyone to sit, like, at a concert. They're just sitting in this beautiful concert hall. The acoustics are perfect, and it begins, okay? I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. But, <laughs> well, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David begins this, uh, this examination process in praise. He begins it in wonder. He says, uh, uh, Lord, 
you are incredible and you know all things. You are infinite. That's how he begins, a recognition of the greatness of God. He continues. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I would put, theoretically. <laughs> if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, here's what he's saying here. God, I can't hide from you even if I wanted to. And sometimes I want to. This is a man who's tried to run. I, I, it doesn't work. Now, I don't know if you ever want to hide from God or have tried. Um, I, I have tried, and it doesn't work. Here's when my kids, Emily and Jenna, when they were three or four or whatever, they used to do this thing where they would call me from the living room, Daddy, come find us, and they're giggling. So I come in the room, and I see this blanket in the middle of the floor with these two lumps underneath it, like right in the middle of the floor. And so I'm like, mm, okay, gee, oh, you know, like bumbling around like a giant. Where could they be? I've looked everywhere and I just can't find them. I just need to sit down and think about it. I'll sit on this blanket. They go, ah. You don't mind me saying so? That's how silly it is when we try to hide things from God. <laughs> That's the irony of the psalm even. He can already see it. But David's inviting him in. He's saying, I will not even try to hide it from you. I know it's pointless. I've tried this before. It's really, really dumb because you're everywhere and you see everything. So I'm not going to try to hide things from you anymore. You see that? Now, why is it? What is the compulsion that makes us want to hide from God? Even though we know it's impossible when we think about it. I kind of think it's this. I, I kind of think there's this intimacy thing. It's just the same as dealing with any other relationship where you have something deep on your mind, deep in your heart, and you're afraid to say it because you're afraid you might get rejected. This goes far beyond just romantic relationships, friendships or whatever else. You got something that's dear to you, but you're scared to say it because you're afraid this might make things weird. I think we do the same thing with God. Lord, here's the thing. I've got this issue and it's dark, and well, I don't really want to bring it to you. I don't, <laughs> you don't want to know. And God's like, I already know. Like, yeah, but really, just, <laughs> really, if we talked about it, then you might get mad. Oh, I'm not mad. But listen, I really think that's it. And I really think what this ends up coming down to sometimes is we don't really trust him all that much. David continues, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows, knows it very well. You see what he's saying here. Connect those two things. You made me. Wonderful are your works. I am one of your works. My soul is one of your works. Oh God, you do good work. I'm part of your good work. Did you know you're part of God's good work? 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you know that God actually delights in you? See, I can tell you that, but here's what happens to me sometimes. I tell you that, and I really believe it. Like, I really believe this. And I'll sit down with someone struggling with, ah, like this, and I'm like, you know what? God actually really loves you, and he really likes you. It's really, really true, and I mean it. And then I look at myself, and someone says the same thing to me, and I'm like, yeah, but, yeah. um." I don't know if you can relate to that. But this has been one of the big struggles of my entire life is truly believing this. And for me, it's been this. It's been like, okay, he loves me because he has to because he's God. That's not true, by the way. I'm serious. God does not have to do anything. He does not have to love you. Do you know that? Because he's God and nobody tells God what he has to do. Kind of basic God 101. God has chosen to love you just in the same way that you chose to love your spouse or your sister or your mother, even if they hurt you. He's chosen to love you. So we get in this thing, we're like, I know God loves me because he's God, but I think he's really, really irritated with me all the time. I don't think that's true either. I don't. You need to remember, God actually delights in you. He's the God who rejoices over you with shouts of joy. Does this mean he's always happy with the things that you do? No. No, I don't think he is. When you hurt another person, I think he's like, this isn't good, you need to make this right. That's my daughter over there that you just said that thing to. But he's not walking in perpetual, come on son. You know, that's not, I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he actually really is like, really has affection. And David is accepting that. He's looking. So so are you following David so far? Lord, you're amazing. Lord, I'm not going to hide from you. Lord, you really, really care for me. And I know you're not going to reject me. And how precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And here you get verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and Adele is singing beautifully, and the violins are together, and the ladies in the front row are all crying, going, I love Adele so much. And then, and then suddenly comes the bridge. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 139, this is the part you always skip over, because here's what happens. The violins suddenly are interrupted by this minor chord on a grunge guitar, and suddenly the death metal comes in, and it's like, Oh, do it, say the wicked, oh God. Whoa, whoa. Oh, man, I'm blood, from me. Whoa, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? They speak against me with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Yeah. And he's like, he's getting down, right, right? He's going, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Remember the scene in Back to the Future when Marty McFly plays Johnny B. Good? (laughs) 
and he freaks everybody out. And, and he's like on the guitar and he's playing this 80s guitar solo in 1955. And he's down on his knees, he's leaning back, he's all sweaty, he's completely out of control. And he stops and realizes his band has completely stopped playing, they're staring at him. Nobody's dancing anymore, everyone's just going. <clears throat> he gets up, he's all. Maybe you guys aren't quite ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. He goes and sits down, right? And Adele comes back. Search me, oh God. <laughs> and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's the psalm. I'm glad they ended on the chorus, right? I have skipped over that so many times. Now we have a thing. We have a categorization for that type, or that, that for the bridge, okay? We call them imprecatory psalms. And people who have studied the scriptures for a long time have a whole way of looking at this. And why, Dave, why was David screaming? Why is he so angry? Is it okay to be that angry? What in the world? Why is he calling down fire? And so when, when I get it to that part, I'm like, okay, just imprecatory psalm. I just put that over there. Okay, that's what I've always done. But I was just reading this, this book by Ruth Haley Barton called Sacred Rhythms, which is fantastic. And here's, she actually suggested that you not do that. She says, take this as a whole psalm. It, it seems like it doesn't fit, but put it back. What's David doing this entire time? He's walking the path of examination, right? Lord, you're good. You see all. I'm not going to hide from you. You're good. I know you delight in me. But here's the ugliness inside me. I have hatred inside me. And he just lays it out for us. Do you see that? This is the kind of intimacy I think God wants from us. I don't know if he thought that was right or wrong at the time. I know it's totally different context. David was a, he's a pretty ruthless man. I don't know what's going on. I think maybe he was just taking his anger before the Lord and saying, Lord, you see everything? Well, look at this. What do I do with this? And he throws it down. And he says, search me, oh God. Search me, you who delight in me. You who see all. You're going to have to search me because I don't know what to do with that. And this is the level of intimacy we can have with our Father. We can take comfort in knowing that there ain't nothing that's inside of us that we can lay down. Nothing that he can see and point to that's going to make him give you the boot. You're out of the family. Do you know that? I think that's what we fear a lot of times, isn't it? Oh, I've broken it one too many times, man. I've blown it again. I'm out. I know I'm out, so I'm not going to show this to you. I'm going to pretend like nothing's wrong. But he says, just out with it. What's that thing in your heart? I see it anyway. What's in your heart? Stop moving around in that blanket. It's so obvious you're hiding under it. What's in your heart? Tell me. Be honest. You're my son, and I love you. That is examination. Death metal in an Adele song. That's right. <laughs> Here's what happens then. We get to that place. Okay, you found something dark inside you. Maybe you found anger like David. Maybe you found lust. Maybe you found deception. Whatever it is, all of these things are common to man, first of all. God's not going to be like, I've never seen this before. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Like I forgave Ahab, but I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. You know what? Sometimes I think we make ourselves too big of a deal in this picture. Like really, you think your sin is intimidating to him? You honestly think that? Come on. No. You found something ugly. So what happens? Well, 
you know, we have to, we, we feel stuff. That's what happens. And then we have to decipher what's, uh, what, what's conviction and what's condemnation. Because these things are very easily mixed up when you see something dark inside of you. Now, there's a, di- a great difference between these two. Conviction is from God. It's a specific conscience alert notification. You just told a lie. Oh. Get thee behind me. I'm not going to have shame. I'm living the Christian. You just told a lie. Okay, don't try to rebuke your conscience when your conscience is telling you something specific, okay? That is God, God put that inside of you in the same way that he put pain receptors in your hand, okay? If you lean on a hot stove, don't try to keep it on there going, I rebuke that. No, I claim healing on my hand. Get your hand off the stove, please. In the same way, you tell a lie, you feel guilt, then repent for the lie. Then the guilt goes, you, it's pain receptors. That's in, it's working then. You see that? Don't run away from that. Con- condemnation, however, is different. Condemnation, uh, uh, it's, it's an insult, you know. It's an insult. It's almost like, you know, you see one alert notification. Condemnation is like when you open up your spam email folder and you see 9999 plus emails. It's like, which basically say you're a terrible person. <laughs> you never check your email. This is, okay, bad example. Forget it. All right. The point is condemnation says you are bad. Condemnation, it, it attacks it attacks identity, see? That is not from God. That is the enemy. Condemnation will attack identity. Conviction will attack sin. It will go to the root. It will say, here's a problem. Let's make this right. Let's talk to God about it. Let's go to your neighbor about it. Maybe you yelled at your wife. You're going to go back and confess this thing and make this right. You can do it, and it's going to be okay. Conviction leads to confession, a healthy kind of confession. Confession as we said before, uh, that leads to healing. Now, here's the thing. This is scary a little bit, isn't it? You're dealing with things like, okay, look at my heart. Lord, is there sin there? What's going on? It's scary. But it's precisely what he's asked us to do. I remember being on these kids' outreaches when, when I was young. And, and before we would come on stage and sing our little songs or whatever, we would have heart check time. And I wish that we still had heart check time more often. We would, we would go and we'd get quiet before the Lord, just like maybe a half an hour before we had to go on stage. We would say, Lord, search our hearts. If we've offended anyone here, if we have sinned against our neighbor or against you, would you show us? Take like five minutes and, uh, to, to be quiet. We say, no, go to somebody. If you said something, you made them mad or you, whatever it is. And we would just do it. It just got into a rhythm of like, I totally snapped at her the other day. And when we were make, doing dishes... And then I splashed water on her after she told me not to. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And you know what happens? Joy happens. Do you know that? Joy happens with confession and repentance and forgiveness. It does. You're not being weighed down anymore. It leads to joy. The, the scary part is I, I think we don't know if we're in safe hands or not, you know? This year is my 18th anniversary. And, um, but, no, it's not right now. You don't have to clap. It's, it's okay. Every year is an anniversary for all of us who are married, right? It's, <laughs> I was just saying, I've been married for 18 years, but it's also the anniversary of me saying goodbye to my appendix. Yeah. 
We're good buddies, me and my appendix. <laughs> that was you, wasn't it, Oaks? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, your mom's nodding. It was you. Um, the, the, I, here's what happened. God, we were living in Minnesota. I was 19. Uh, no, I was, wait, was I? I don't know how old I was. Forget it. I was 20 or something. Uh, yeah, I was 20 because I was engaged. And um, we were, I had just moved to Minnesota like a year and a half earlier. I'd been raised in Texas. And I'm just having this wonderful time of life. And my two best friends from Texas had flown up to hang out with Sarah and I. And it was going to be a blast. We were going to go sledding and all these things. I, 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 I had gone to work uh, with my mom's hot Texas chili, which I loved. But by late in the afternoon, something began to happen inside of my stomach. And I thought, that chili. <laughs> I went home and it was worse. And my friends were like, hey, you ready to hang out? And I'm like, no. Chili. So we stay home like a bunch of morons. And, and now people who stay home are morons. I don't know why I said that. Whatever. I stay home all the time. I'm a moron. I just mean we wanted to be out in the town and we weren't doing anything. Lamos is the word I should have gone with. So here I am. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping on the couch now. I'm getting nervous. And at, at like 5 in the morning, I start stirring and I see this light on uh, in the living room. And it's my mom. She's got her reading light on. And she's got her medical book open. It's bef a little before WebMD hit, you know. And she's like, Jason, did that pain move from high in your stomach down and to the right? And I go, who wants to know? Because <laughs> Jason, I think you have appendicitis. It's like, Mom, that is impossible because that would be really, really a bad time to have appendicitis be extremely inconvenient, so that's impossible. And so a couple hours later, we go into the doctor. Now, here's the thing. This little town has got this doctor, office, and hospital, and they don't have a good reputation. I'm nervous about this. I go in and see this doctor, and he's very aloof, and he's happy-go-lucky, and he's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm like, I'm in pain. Oh, okay, well, maybe we talk about it. And, he, and he's got his... His med student with him, he's like, do you mind if he comes in? Now, normally I totally wouldn't care, but I was in pain, and I was grouchy, and I'm like, I would prefer if he didn't, and he brought him in anyway. <laughs> so already I'm like, what's your deal, doc? Whatever, I just let it slide, and, and he doesn't check me in or anything. He comes like, I think you're probably okay. It's probably just your stomach. Here, you can take these meds. You go home. You should be okay. I wasn't okay. Five hours later, I was in more pain, I think, than I've ever been in my entire life, and so my mom... Uh, and Sarah brought me to the hospital. And here I'm getting checked in. And I'm like, just get this thing out. I finally come to terms. That's what this is. Get it out. So, but this hospital, right? They, they check me in. I'm in a room. And, you know, you, you young guy, I, I, all these, these young nurses are there. And normally you're like, hey, young pretty nurses, cool. But no, this wasn't cool at all. Because these are very inexperienced nurses. And they could not find my vein. It was like, mm, not there. But not, I can see my vein right now just doing this. It's not that hard to find. But they were dug. I was a pin cushion. It was like, no, try again. No, try again. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, I'm surrounded by incompetence. This is terrible. <laughs> now, I was already pretty hurting. So forgive me. This is the way that I remember it. So, 
so fine. They're like, well, uh, we probably should get you to surgery, but we, you know, the doctor isn't available. They had one surgeon. Uh, he's out for lunch or dinner or something. I don't know. But he didn't want to do surgery then. Like, we'll just wait and we'll do it in the morning. And so all night long, Sarah is up and she is just like so ticked off at these nurses. You can't bring this up to Sarah today without seeing a little bit of like, because they're outside just talking and laughing. And I'm like pushing the button, please come, please give me more medicine. I'm like calling them and just nothing, right? And when Sarah does get mad, but it lowers, it's not like she doesn't explode. And then all of her words get very sharp like that. You see what I mean? She was ticked. So the morning, the surgeon finally comes. This is a long story, but just hold, bear with me. The surgeon finally comes, right? And he's like, hey, oh, looks at me, starts poking at me. Well, Jay, ow, ow! <laughs> looks like you have appendicitis. Thank you. Letting me know. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you into surgery this morning. I'd really appreciate that. Thanks. Hour goes by. Another hour goes by. Another hour goes by. It's like lunchtime, the time they finally wheel me into the operating room. By this time, by the way, my appendix had ruptured. Thank you very much. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm over this, I promise. <laughs> so here I am. I'm just, it's not been a good day. Can you get this? It's not been a good day and night. This has been bad. And I, I, they wheel me to the operating room. There's all this commotion going around me. And I'm just like, maybe they could just kill me now. Like, I would be okay. Just, just put me out of it. And in the middle of all of this, I suddenly hear this voice. Hey there, Jason, how you doing? No, no, no. And it was this familiar voice. And I went, it was Ralph Kiffmeyer. Now, you don't know who Ralph Kiffmeyer is. <laughs> I'm about to tell you who he is, so just hang tight. Ralph Kiffmeyer was one of the elders at our church. And he was this wonderful man. He was so wise and he was so gentle and good. And he was the anesthesiologist. And of course, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm like, he's going to do my anesthesia. Everything's going to be okay because Ralph Kiffmeyer's here. And I just wanted to start, I could even tear up right now just thinking about it. And he comes in, he has this very distinctive voice. Okay, Jason, here we go. Here's what we're going to do. Here, we'll put the mask on. And just start counting backwards from 10. 10, <laughs> Ralph, 9, 8. There's something that happens when you realize that someone loves you and cares about you and can actually help you take care of the problem. Here's, here's the thing. In, in this analogy, as we're thinking about our own pains, our own weaknesses inside of us, that we don't want any surgeon digging around in there because we don't trust them, not only are we the patient, we're also the young pretty nurses who can't find the vein. Follow me here. Can we really examine these things? Can we really bail ourselves out? Can we actually heal ourselves from the things that are plaguing us? No, we cannot. But we keep trying. We keep trying. We keep thinking, this time it's going to be better. This time it's going to be better. You know what I need? I need a book. I need a good self-help book. That's what I need. No? Okay, I, I need something else. I, you know I think there was a TED Talk on this. Let me look this up. TED Talk. How to stop doing these things. Come on. Help me out here. And we try all of these things, but we cannot be healed. Guys, we do have a doctor who is both supremely wise and supremely loving. 
He can help us identify those things, and he knows what he's doing. I know you feel like it's amateur hour, because it is if you're trying to work on yourself. But you have the one who actually designed you, and he loves you, and he's gentle, and he's extremely good at what he does. And he has a very distinct voice. Is it going to hurt? It might. But he knows what he's doing. You can entrust yourself to this one. I promise. You can entrust yourself. He says, I want you to work through this and make this right. I want you to make restitution. You stole from that person. But God, that's going to hurt. Yeah, it, it will. But trust. Trust. I want you to give this thing up. But God, giving it up might hurt. That's true. It might. But this is where confession leads with him. This is where repentance leads. It leads to restoration. It leads to healing. He's not going to kick you out, guys. He's not going to give you the boot. He wants to bring you closer. He wants to bring you closer. That is what he's always wanted. Examination brings him closer. It says, Lord... I'm just going to lay down on the operating table, and you do what you need to do. That's trust. Another level of trust. God is both perfectly competent and perfectly caring. He is loving enough to forgive you, and he is wise enough to restore you when you blow it. couple of practices you can work on here. One of them is journaling. Some people have found this to be immensely helpful, and I would, I would highly recommend it. Journaling, what it can do, I won't read this quote, but what it, can, what it ends up doing is, is, is giving us a grid to, to look through and notice what God has done, and actually put it, something about putting it down on paper helps us to remember that he's done it. Or remember what we've done, or remember circumstances. But the biggest thing is this. It can help us notice where we noticed God. Where did I feel the presence of the Lord today? Where did I feel him directing me and urging me? Did I follow his direction? Did I follow his nudging? Why not? Or why did I do it? And if you did it, I did a good thing today. The Lord called me. I took a risk. Look what happened. And here's the, the cool thing that begins to happen after that is then it becomes more of top of mind for you living in the moment as well. That was just God. He just spoke that thing to me. I'm actually going to follow what he says now. Journaling is a wonderful way to practice examination. Another one. A prayer of examination. Or our more orthodox brothers would have called this the prayer of examine. It's been practiced for centuries. It's just the, this, uh, uh, this rhythm of going before the Lord usually at the end of the day, and just walking through some, some common sense steps in prayer here. The first one is to be still. You'll notice this is a common thing all the way through all these rhythms, is learning to be still. First we start, and we be still. We put away the distractions, and then we invite the Holy Spirit to come. We invite him into the process. If you are just navel-gazing, you will be led astray. You will think everything is wrong with you, or everything is right with you, and both of those are probably going to be the wrong answer. Navel-gazing will lead you into all kinds of deception. Invite him in. Invite him to lead the process. Then review the previous day or week. Where, where was he? 
Where were you? Were you following him? Are you loving the way he's called you to love? Review those things. Then give thanks. Give thanks for his goodness in the midst of it. Give thanks that he loves you even in the places you blew it. Give thanks that he was there present with you. Give thanks. Confess where you need to confess. This is all the way through the New Testament. Confess. Speak it out. But he already sees it. I know. Confess. Confess. But we're not Catholic. Yeah, so? That's actually a really good thing that Catholics do is they confess. I know sometimes we Protestants can kind of look down our noses a little bit about that because, oh, Catholics just say it to a priest and they think it's all better. But you know what? The truth is a lot of us Protestants, we just forgive ourselves and move on. We don't even confess it. I think maybe we should take a little bit of cue from them and confess it to the Lord and then confess to another person. Ask for forgiveness. And then process these things with a trusted friend. I hope that you guys have someone in your life that can help you with this because we all desperately need this. Someone who can walk you through these things, pray with you, support you, walk together. If you don't have that, that is what I want to challenge you to pray for more than anything else this week is that you get some comrades around you who can walk through these things because you can't do it alone. And I kind of feel like that's a lot of our problems is we try to do it alone and it's ridiculous. We can't. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. We've laid out a whole bunch of rhythms, a whole bunch of things, prayer, worship, uh, scripture, so many different things these last nine weeks. But when we get down to it, we can look back through the process of examination and say, where am I in this process, Lord? What am I doing right? What do I need help on? And then find the help. Because here's, here's, here's what I want for all of us. In 20 years, I want us to be able to look back and say, I remember when I always dealt with that sin, but I have victory in that area now. Rather than looking back with some sort of weird sentimentality going, yeah, we're never going to change, ha, 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 ha. He actually wants to help us grow. We don't have to be stuck anymore. And that's my prayer, that the Lord can take us through all of these spiritual rhythms and draw us closer to Him. And in that process, we ourselves would be changed more into his likeness. Let's stand together. So the prayer servant team is coming forward. If you need prayer for anything, whether it has anything to do with this or something else, I encourage you, come up, ask for prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are wise and you are loving. You are infinite in both. And God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to go to those places where we're scared to go. I pray that you would renew our hearts with trust, that you would show us again how good you are. And Lord, I pray that you can bring healing to the, to the broken places in our hearts, that you could bring freedom to the places of, uh, where we continually get snared. Lord, draw us close to you, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Prayer servant team up, thank you guys. Have a great week.